Hello and welcome to the latest Tech UK podcast in our local digital dialogue series, a chance to explore, discuss and find out more about the work being done to strengthen and enhance tech ecosystems across the UK. I'm Matt Robinson, Tech UK's Head of Nations and Regions, and I'll be leading you through our digital dialogue today. Now, it will perhaps be easy to take this time for a deep dive look at London as part of Tech UK's programme for London Tech Week. But with international attention on the UK, we've taken the decision to focus on the West Midlands, and for good reason, as you're about to find out. And I'm delighted to be joined by a group of tech leaders who can talk us through the ins, outs, intricacies, opportunities, and everything that the region has to offer. So let me allow our panel to introduce themselves. I'll first come to Joe. Thanks, Matt. I'm Joe Gretton, and I'm Chief Executive of Talent, um, a technology services company that focuses on the uh, design, build, support, and management of critical national infrastructure. Um, put simply, our customers trust the 3,000 employees that we have with their critical networks, their IT infrastructure, and their data. Increasingly, we support our clients in their digital transformations. Um, there's a lot of legacy equipment out there in critical national infrastructure. Um, it's, it's difficult to transform. Uh, it's not easy and it's risky to do it. So there's very much a very trusting relationship. And we operate across a really wide range of technologies, environments, industry sectors, including transport, the emergency services, network providers and the public sector. So um, it's very uh, business critical, mission critical. And some of our customers include Transport for London, National Highways, the Maritime and Coast Guard Agency, BT Openreach, Network Rail, Virgin Media. So it might be that Talent is not a name that you're familiar with, but trust me, you come across our services on a day-to-day -day basis. Joe, that's fantastic. We'll explore that a little bit more in a moment, I think. Uh, Mike, let me bring you in at this point. My name is Mike Lewis. I'm the uh, creative and tech sector lead at the West Midlands Growth Company. Um, I've spent a lifelong career in, in tech, working with startups, scale-ups, large corporates. Um, I'm familiar with the telem business, Joe, and I've got a long history, so uh, I know I know GPT days. Uh, but I've spent a lot of time in fintechs, mobile, internet of things, all those related technologies. Most of my career in, in London South East, but back in the West Midlands, very proud to be here and very purposeful role. And I, I grew up in the West Midlands, very passionate about the region. West Midlands Growth Company, we're the regional economic development agency for the region. We're an arm of the combined authority and we play an important role in promoting the region, promoting inward investment and capital investment into the West Midlands area. My focus, obviously, is on tech and creative industries. Perfect. Thank you, Mike. Yanis, over to you next. Thanks, Matt. So Yanis Mao, CEO and founder of Birmingham Tech. So we have a West Midlands Regional Tech Cluster. Um, and we're kind of set up and, and designed to foster an environment of collaboration across the region, to inspire people from all walks of life to get into technology, um, and also to create a platform to allow people to celebrate the success of the West Midlands tech scene. So businesses, people, public sector, and everything else in between. Um, we run Lon um, London Tech Week. No, we're here to talk about London Tech Week. I, I run Birmingham Tech Week, um, but it's nice to be talking at, at London Tech Week. And, and Birmingham Tech Week is the UK's largest regional tech festival. We get 5,000 people attend Birmingham Tech Week. 
and a great kind of opportunity to showcase the region as a, as a whole. I also sit on the, the board um, of Tech Nation Visa and represent the IOD as a technology ambassador. Very proud of the region, very excited to be talking with you all today. Thank you, Yanis. And uh, I can say it's more than just Birmingham as well. It is the West Midlands that you're celebrating as part of Birmingham Tech Week. And I think that's fantastic as well. And, and finally, I should say, last but not least, I'm going to come to Melissa next. Melissa. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Yep. So I'm Melissa Snover. I'm the CEO and founder at Remedy Health. Depends on your definition of startup and scale up. But we started about two years ago and we developed technology, which allows for hyper-personalization on health and wellness. Um, our most famous brand is Nourished, which is the world's first personalized gummy vitamin. And we currently operate out of three factories across the Birmingham region with around 120 employees and uh, are selling our products all over the world. Thank you, Melissa. Uh, and thank you to all of our speakers for joining us today. Uh, so without any further ado, let's get into the discussion. So in 2021, the Department of Culture, Media and Sport released data showing the strength of the West Midlands tech sector with huge potential for future growth. What factors do you think have helped make the region such a positive tech ecosystem? And um, what more do you think can be done to build on this? I'm going to come to Yanis first. What, what a fantastic accolade to have, re have received. You know, I think every single one of us here today is extremely proud of that recognition of the hard work that's gone into the last kind of three or four years. Um, I think the, the biggest driver has been collaboration. It's been the willingness for all people, organisations across private and public sector to come together and really ensure that the right building blocks are in place for this region to go from strength to strength. We've got a, a fantastic foundation and history when it comes to innovation and technology, but we've always been lagging behind some of the other regions. Um, I think now we've got momentum behind us. Still a lot of work to do, which I'm sure we'll come on to. But I think, yeah, at, at the heart of really what's driven it is that sense of belonging, sense of togetherness and, and collaboration. Thanks, Yanis. Joe, I'm going to bring you in at this point. I, I would agree with Yanis there. And I think I'd build on it that we've got such a strong heritage in the region. Melissa talked about manufacturing there. You know, there's a fantastic industrial heritage that's very much moving into the tech space. We've got, you know, great transport links where we are. We're ideally located. And we've got, as a result, really good skills in the area that are available to us. And so I think to build and for the future, it's maintaining those links between industry and education. Um, you know, we talk about STEM a lot. We do a lot of uh, STEM ambassador work, but it's absolutely key that you know, our local tech companies and our local universities and our schools, that we really keep attracting kids into those STEM subjects and then into our industries. And also making sure that we really focus on um, accessibility and inclusivity. You know, how do we make our careers more interesting to people, particularly as we move away from a world where perhaps people are, are less interested in a regular Monday to Friday nine to five? Interesting. Yeah. Mike, you just had Joe there saying about that less interested in a nine to five. What factors do you think make it interesting and what make people want to be a part of the West Midlands tech scene? I think mean, I mean, there's, there's two two areas for me. One is the, if you like, the, the, the tangible and then is the, the, the kind of intangible. From a tangible point of view, you know, uh, building on some of the points Joe made, you know, 
it goes about saying, you know, connectivity geographically. But some of the strengths we have as well, you know, we've got some world-class um, strengths in the region. We've got a world-class gaming cluster. Uh, we, you know, we, we'll, we, we're the region's best uh, region for 5G connectivity. We've got West Midlands 5G. We've been doing some really interesting work in developing, uh, working with different businesses, different user cases, and all these unique strengths. I think the real, the real power is when it's it, it's that cross-sector, cross-cutting, and it's you know building on as Joe says our, our industrial heritage, but as manufacturing with more into industry 4.0. You know, the kind of skills they're going to need is the kind of skills that exist in the gaming industry. And it's that cross-cutting um, aspect, which I think is is a really powerful, and, and just the sheer size and scale of what we're always in the economy, our people sometimes underestimate what the sheer size and scale of the economy is. But then there's the kind of intangible, and I'm building on sort of point uh, Yellow's made. And I think it's appropriate to use a sporting analogy because we have the Commonwealth Games coming here in the summer. Um, you know, many... Organisations across the sector work uh, collaboratively, as Yana says, as a, as a collective ecosystem. There may be suppliers, there may be customers, there may be competitors, there may be going through complex negotiations with each other. But on occasions, they come together as as Team West Midlands. You know, and they pull on that. You know, they pull on that common common coloured shirt and, and and play for 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 Team West Midlands. And I, I think you know, to use a sport analogy is highly appropriate, but. You see it every day, I see it every day, and I know Janus does, is that, that the passion and the energy that people collectively have, um, and it's all, almost that kind of challenger challenger brand mindset, and, and it, it's great to see. So I think a lot of tangible strengths, and a lot of intangible strengths as well. I think that's uh, really interesting, Mike, there. I think the West Midlands bring in West Brom Villa and Wolves <laughs> together under that same banner. That's, that's <laughs> incredible. Uh, Melissa, I'm going to come to you next. So the strengths of the region, what, what factors do you think make it such a positive place for tech at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good question. And um, I'm a humongous um, proponent of, of the region. So so this is something I think about all the time. But I think as an American who chose to be here um, at, with many, many choices, I think I, I have a unique perspective on it. I think I came to England. I lived in the north. I lived in Manchester. I lived in London. Then I came to Birmingham to start my first tech company. And the reasons I did that originally were around the fact that there were so many extremely good universities within, well, of my office, within 10 miles, there's five really top level universities crossing everything from technology to healthcare um, and, and everything in between. And, and they are churning out some of the best grads in the world and many graduates of Birmingham University I've met in other places across the world and, and found out later that they came from Birmingham. And I just think that is a, that is one of the reasons I chose it. There's also a very unique thing in Birmingham where actually four of the universities have degree programs in 3D printing, which is unique in the world, never mind in the UK. And so specifically when I started doing 3D printing in, in you know 2014, when it was still very much a fringe tech that had just come out of patent protection from some of that open source stuff, it was very difficult to find people that were serious about it as a career. There was tinkers and makers, which of which I am one, <laughs> but I really was uh, so excited about that. And we also have the Advanced Additive Manufacturing Center in Coventry, which is another thing which is extremely unique to the region. So that was one of the first things. Then what made me um, even more convinced was just the general cost of doing business in this region is so much less than every other region that I've ever been. 
And I know, you know, you can compare anywhere to London and London will always be way more. And that's something I think we all accept, but it is even half as much as Manchester, which I'm not being funny, but Birmingham is closer to London. It's dead smack in the middle of the country. It's fantastic for logistics. If you are going to be shipping product, it has, it's the second city. It has everything that you could, you have your own airport. We have an amazing hub for transport for humans in, in Grand Central. Um, and then to say that my current, well, my first building that I got was I think about 15,000 square feet. And it cost me less on a monthly basis than a six man office in Manchester. And that is really, really huge. It's like more than a scale of 10 difference in the cost of doing business. And so one of the reasons I think the region is thriving and will continue to attract great talent and people who want to set up their businesses, if people want to make money go further and they want to spend the money that they do have, if they are lucky enough to raise investment or they're lucky enough to have money, they should be spending that on the development of their product, not on, you know, their rent, which is, you know, sky high and, and really be able to find a lot of really great talent, especially at graduate level, where again, you're not going to pay executive level prices for those people because you're going to bring them in you're going to develop that talent in your own business and you're going to give them a great experience too to be part of something really really cutting edge and really cool so those are some of the reasons why we will never leave the region um, and why we continue to expand within the region and then reach the entire world from from birmingham i think that's really interesting melissa and, and that you've called birmingham the UK's second city. I can hear the flurry of complaints I'm going to get from <laughs> Manchester and, and other others. But I think you put the case across <laughs> so well there about that, that cost of business and why it's driving totally. the economy there as well. Yeah. Um, so we know about the importance of startups um, and we also see an increased focus on scale-ups as well in the tech sector. Um, and as tech leaders, what advice would you give to startups and scale-ups in the UK? And, and what was the best piece of advice you were given as a tech leader as well? And I think it's only appropriate I come to Melissa after that <laughs> as well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, our business, it depends on who you are. Like I mentioned at the beginning, whether you call us a startup or a scale-up. Oftentimes people use age as a definition of startup and it's usually two years. So like we are right there on the edge of that. So I think for startups, the region could not be better. And I think the advice I would give people is utilize the incredible support, people like the growth agency. If you're going to be exporting DIT, there's Tech Nation. We were part of scale, um, Upscale 7.0. It was an incredible program. It was ridiculously good. Um, there's tons and tons of meetups, tons and tons of people like the people on this podcast today that are giving their time for free advice and talks and so on all the time to be able to support um, people starting out at the beginning of their journey. And I think you know, not just that, but utilizing the programs and the incentives that the UK as, as a country has is another key thing. I mean, again, one of the things that attracted me to the UK from the very beginning was all of the amazing benefits for businesses which are based around technology research and development. So like our company has seven, well, 17 patents. And so we get patent box relief on our taxes. We get R&D relief every year, which literally is a very sizable amount of money, which helps me to continually invest in more and more research and development. 
And if I read some of the stats and these are, you know, the stats, they're really slow coming out of HMRC as maybe you guys have recognized, but like in 2019, only 35,000 SMEs applied for R&D relief. That's insane. And I think it's because they just don't know and they're not utilizing all of the programs. At a local level, Growth Hub has an amazing set of resources where you can see what kinds of incentives are available for you when you're hiring, you know, doing up a building, investing in the region and so on. And I do think that a lot of people have no idea about it and they need to take some onerousness on themselves and seek some information out and seek some support and advice. I think for myself, like a piece of advice that I've been given, not specifically related to tech, but I suppose it's transferable across anything, which is um, my mother, my wise old sage mother has said, and we have this on a massive, massive billboard in the office now, which says the easy way and the right way are never the same way. And it's, it's true. It's inconvenient and it's quite annoying, but it, but it's true. And I think it, yeah, it really helps me making decisions on a tech level. You know, when you're doing development of a product, you take the easy code way, you will have to go back and fix it. It will not last. Uh, There will be issues. So I always encourage my, my tech development team to really think about that while they're through the design process. I think that that's getting put on tea towels and marketed across, <laughs> uh, across the globe now as we speak. And, and you're so right about that R&D funding as well. I think, you know, the ambition from the government to get more R&D spend out of, into the regions yeah. is great. But we've got to make sure businesses are taking it up. We've got to totally. make sure as well. Uh, Mike, I'm going to come to you. Uh, so advice for startups, advice for scale-ups and the advice you've been given as well. I, I think the advice for startups and scale-ups is get connected with the region. You know, we've, we've talked about um, the, the passion that exists here in the West Midlands. And I think, I mean, the most important thing any business could do, start over and start on scale up, is, is get connected with, with local systems. It's, it's the way you're going to collaborate, it's where you're going to find partnerships, where you're going to learn from others' experience, best practice, uh, you know, business opportunities, insights. I think that's the most important thing is, is get connected with the region. Talk to, uh, in the case of West Midlands, talk to us, talk to the West Midlands Growth Company. You know, we're here to help businesses set up, get established and grow. We've got a soft landing package for businesses uh, coming from outside the UK into the UK, into the West Midlands. I mean, talk to us as a, as a growth company, but broadly get connected with, with uh, the wider ecosystem. I think best advice I've ever had or, or best experience, I think, is, is be bold, you know, be challenging. Uh, have that challenge mindset, test and learn. You know, people talk about theoretical market opportunities. The reality is until you put a product or service out there and people experience it, you don't really know what the market demand is. And so it's that kind of MVP kind of uh, approach, get get product out there, test and learn. Um, but I think one of the best advice or experience as well is that I always remember in the past many examples where, you know, you make career decisions to join other businesses or, or create new product lines. And I, I always recall getting that kind of negative perception of, well, that idea won't work. You know, there's not a market for that. And experience has taught me that if that's the reaction, it probably means you are genuinely onto something. Because it means you are doing something that's different, that is going to fill, uh, you know, an un, untapped uh, niche in the market, that, you know, it's that it's that kind of um, unknown, you know, unknown desires. You know, it's it's so, so. I think the probably biggest experience or advice is, you know, if someone gives you a product idea and not back, it probably means you're onto something. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think that's fair and something we can all take away from uh, from this as well when we're thinking about our, our work. Um, um, I'm going to bring in Yanis here. Yanis, uh, what what advice for startups and, and scale-ups in the region? So, I mean, we're, we're seven years running now, the, the startup capital of the, the UK, which is phenomenal. Yeah. However, you know, we, we've, we've not really seen that translate into enough, enough scale-ups coming through. And I, I think that it's exciting to start a startup. It is an amazing thing, an admirable thing. But actually, it's tapping into all of what's been talked about already, the, the support programs, the ecosystem as a whole, and, and really understanding what it is you're doing and how it can be applied to market. I, I see a lot of good ideas, but actually turning that idea into a product or a service that you can sell is the sticking point. And I, I think that there are so many opportunities out there through corporate relationships, through accelerators, incubators to learn and, and become a viable business. And I think that is untapped potential really for, for our region. So yeah, take advantage of what's already there, both from a, from a regional perspective and a national perspective as, as well. Be best advice, I mean, I was lucky enough to be part of a, a startup which turned into a scale up and then you know, sold to a big, a big US firm. So, you know, 10 years of blood, sweat and tears, you, you learn a lot. And, and it's funny when people ask for advice, I, I think the best kind of advice is just, you know, enjoy the ride and, and learn along the way. But, but the one thing that's always stuck with me is people, hire people that are better than you and hire people that are different than you. And I think that really creates a, an exciting business when you've got people that are neurodiverse that are from different backgrounds and that can really help you think differently as an organization that's when you start to realize that that talent can catapult your organization and become global so yeah that that's the bit to focus on for me is is talent and, and good people within the organization Thanks, Janice. And I'm, I'm keen to come back to that point on talent um, and diversity of talent in a moment, if that's OK. I'm going to come to Joe next. Uh, talent, not a startup, not a scale up, but you will work with many of them as well. And you will have seen them come and seen them go. So what advice would you give to startup scale ups and, and the best advice you've received as well? Well, I, I think I would say, first of all, absolutely reach out to large corporates and and be keen to partner with us. Uh, I think maybe sometimes there's a fear that uh, smaller companies are just going to get swallowed up and that, you know, us nasty lot are going to steal people's ideas. But actually, I mean, certainly in talent, we recognise we can't do everything ourselves. We don't want to do everything ourselves. And we've got some fantastic partnerships and having more of those with smaller companies, startup scale ups would be quite exciting. I think recognising as well that perhaps one of the uh, other things that can put people off that is that the bigger you get, the more governance you have. And there's no point fighting it. We don't have the ability just to say, don't worry, we'll just ignore all of our rules just for you. It'd be a bit like going to your bank and saying, can, can we ignore the KYC checks, please? So, you know, do talk to us, tell us when we're making it hard to do business together, but don't just say no to us because that doesn't help anybody. But definitely there are huge opportunities to do things. You know, if you think about what we bring, We've got that process. We've got that governance. There's a lot of the back office lifting that we can take away for, for smaller companies and help with. And also we've got a vast customer base that we can get people into. 
I think as well for particularly scale ups, when you're growing rapidly, make sure that you know what culture you want in your business. Because if you're really recruiting fast and you're growing fast, that's an area you can lose sight of quite easily. So be really clear on, on what it is that your vision is for your business and how you're going to maintain that. And I think the best advice I ever received was that uh, things never as good as you hope, but they're never as bad as you fear. I can sense another tea towel coming here with this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Joe. You know, thinking about scale-ups, we've all talked there about uh, talent and, and understanding that culture in the organisation that, that you want. And, and the strength of the tech sector locally and nationally means there's an ever greater need for tech talent as well, and particularly greater diversity in tech talent that offers more people new opportunities. So, Joe, how are you addressing that at talent and what's been the impact? So in the last 15, 16 months, um, we've grown our workforce by 20%. So it's, it's a heck of a lot of growth and keeping the HR team incredibly busy. And, you know, we're a services business. So people are literally our most valuable asset. And it means that we invest a lot in, in training and competencies in looking at new ways of doing things. I think like most companies a benefit of the pandemic, although it feels awful to talk about, but benefits in the context of pandemic is that, um, you know, we've got a more um, geographically diverse workforce now as well, um, and not just restrained on recruiting people who live within, you know, 20 miles of a, a fixed office. So last year, we, we put a lot of money and focus onto our apprentice and grad programmes. We welcomed 53 um, new apprentices and graduates last September. We took another um, eight apprentices on in January and then we'll have our next intake coming in September. So, again, looking to grow those schemes. And very much it's about providing a quality training and development experience for people. We're lucky we do a lot of different things in a lot of different sectors. So we're really able to move people around the business and make sure they get to see a lot. Um, and we're, you know, we're a firm believer in, you know, really letting people get on and actually do things. So, you know, if you come to talent, you don't you don't have to just watch somebody doing something. You'll be expected to crack on and do it yourself. But in a, obviously a supportive way as well. We've had some really good success in recruiting um, ex-forces, ex-services personnel. And, you know, they've got fantastic skills and disciplines, um, which we find really useful going forward. You know, they, they stay calm under pressure, are comfortable in what's quite a fast paced environment. Um, and so. Uh, lots of sort of charitable not-for-profits are doing work in that sector. So that's been really good for us. Around inclusivity, you know, is an absolute commitment and an absolute passion. And I will always talk about the talent family. And that's, you know, even though we're growing, you know, at 3,000 people, it's a large family. But it's it's that's the culture that I want here. And that means that everybody feels that they belong. And that's really important. So about identifying and knocking down any blockers that stop people from feeling fully engaged and, and included. Yanis talked there about neurodiversity and that diversity of background, and it's absolutely key because otherwise everybody just thinks the same and, and you don't go anywhere. And making sure that we reward people properly. And that's, you know, in, in the full range of reward, it isn't just about the, the salary, but benefits, hard benefits that go with that, and then the soft benefits that go with that as well. And one of the big things for me is that flexibility of working. 
we we do a lot of um, sort of say annualized hours contracts, which works well for people who've got children. We also look at um, uh, we we support, for example, some very old technology, including for London Underground, a valve-based computer. So um, when I say old, I really mean old, and that means that actually we've got a very old workforce as well. And actually, it's looking at people at that point in their life and that point in their career and, and actually what does make them want to keep coming to work. I think that's, that's really interesting as well. And 3,000, that's a, a huge family around the dinner table on a, a Sunday. Uh, <laughs> and Melissa, I want to bring you in here because you talked about talent with regards to the universities as well. How are you tackling that challenge around talent? The talent challenge um has been even more challenging than it would have been with everything that's happened over the last two years, really. There is, there's is, there been so many humongous macro things that have happened that really nobody could do anything about on a micro level, um, but have had a huge impact in retainability of staff and people's working conditions and what they want now from their job and what people are looking for. I think our business went from four people in 2019 to 120 today. So it has grown quite a bit. We certainly don't have 3,000. That sounds really, that doesn't sound fun. If I'm being honest, that sounds really challenging. I don't know how you're doing that. But I think, you know, we have everything from manual labor in our factories, making our product to, you know, some of the most highly skilled product engineers um, from a hardware point of view to CFOs and um, head of people. You know, we have, we have do everything internally. We have no agencies. And so we have jobs across the board um, in all sorts of things. And that means that in general, we are able to bring in talent from a wide spectrum of different places. So apprenticeship program is something that we do do. We have tons of grads that come in to do their, um, their work experience and then they come back to work with us after they finish. But in general, I think when I'm thinking about the region, because I think this is important that we highlight the region as a benefit, I think that being in Birmingham, as opposed to London, has been highly beneficial to our business from a tech point of view. And I think that there's there's several reasons why. I think, one, in London, you have a humongous amount of competitiveness for tech talent. And I'm not saying there isn't competitiveness in, the, in Birmingham. You now compete on a global scale for tech talent who can work remotely, right? But I think in general, if we were in London competing with Google and Apple and Amazon and all of these humongous, we cannot, we can't actually do that. We cannot compete with the salaries that they can offer. But in the Birmingham region, you know, I think we're one of the coolest tech companies in Birmingham. And I think that we get a humongous number of people coming through on our recruitment. And, and we have 92% retention of our new recruits across all of our factory, um, factory workers, all the way up to executives. And I think that's because people really enjoy working at our business. We, we make everybody really have impact in what we do every day. And I also put 20% of the company into an EMI share plan. And I give shares to every single employee, every single one, doesn't matter your role when you hit your six month probation. So every employee in the business, except for the brand newbies, um, are actually owners in our company. And so they're highly invested in the overall success and they feel, you know, a personal um, commitment to it that is, I think, over and above what you get when you work for a standard business that, that doesn't have those kinds of programs. But I, I think from a challenge, from a scale up point of view, to, uh, just in closing, it is so hard to scale from 
zero to 120 and then from 120 to a thousand um, i'm constantly rewriting our protocols like literally i have a chief of staff now and that's like our full-time job is literally oh this meeting schedule no longer works i can't just hold alignments we have 100 people on the call it's not engaging it's like basically me shouting to everybody and they're just sitting there how can we make this more engaging how can we keep people who are remote working engaged how can we keep the cohesion of the culture as the business expands you know really exponentially um, and which is extremely important to me so that is something that i don't think you can do gracefully nor do you, nor can you do without a huge amount of focus and energy but it is worth it i think and it leads to a much more enjoyable environment and a much um a much bigger and faster progress and I think there's something really important that I said that you and Joe both said. It's about people being bought in and and feeling and seeing the impact of what they do uh, mm -hmm. at work, and that keeps people coming back. And is great for recruitment as well for bringing people yeah. into your business. And and you know, Mike, in, in turning to you, I, I can remember speaking with the Westmids uh, mayor Andy Street, and he was saying to Melissa's point, you know, Birmingham isn't competing with Bradford and Bolton; it's competing with Boston and Berlin now yeah that's right talent some observations for you as the growth company on, on, on talent how we develop it and how we make sure we, we keep it in the region as well i think i think a lot of it is is the message and getting the message out there and, and just, just looking from a, a, a growth company point of view just us as an organization you know, we've, we've grown substantially in the last uh, 12 months or so as we, as we scale up to support a number of number of programs and initiatives and our recruitment reflects the region we operate in as it rightly should you know should do but I think the key thing is, is promoting the, the region in the right way. Because we, you know, we are we are the youngest city in Europe. We're also one of the most diverse regions, and it's making sure we get that message out consistently and as loud as as, as possible. And that, that's a fundamental task that, that we have in, in promoting that region. We're also seeing a lot, um, and there's been you know some high high profile announcements around this. We're starting to see a lot of large enterprise based businesses who are recognising. You know, to Melissa's point about uh, the, the, the significant cost advantage, you know, it is a value proposition here in the West Midlands. But not only that, seeing that diverse pool of talent, you know, as, as they recognise in their own businesses that they, you know, they need to grow, uh, they can save money by relocating or, or, or expanding into the West Midlands. They're also recognising that to make their own employee base more diverse, it's a great region for that as well. So, you know, concept we, we, we term uh, mid-shoring, but essentially, you know, businesses expanding in, into the region because they recognise, you know, there's a great opportunity of diverse pool of talent. But there's lots of really good stuff that goes on um, across the region as well to, you know, bring in, bring forward new pipeline of talent. So, uh, you know, we've got eight fantastic, you know, universities uh, within a really, uh, you know, commutable distance of, of, of Birmingham City Centre, who have put output in some fantastic graduates, and over half our graduates choose to stay in the region and, and build their careers here. Because there's a quality of life aspect as well, uh, you know, the housing costs in relation to, uh, you know, to salary ratios. It, it's a it's a great place to 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 live and, and earn and, and and build your career. So is that kind of the output of the universities? But a lot of great stuff going on at further education level as well. And a lot of initiatives, uh, as the sector dinner last night, we were talking about this, that there's a lot of initiatives as well that not everyone follows or wants to follow or can follow a traditional career path into 
yeah, further and higher education. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of nurturing those, uh, you know, those young people with with potential and, and getting businesses to, to, to recognise that not everyone necessarily follows the orthodox path, but nevertheless have some great digital skills and, and great potential. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think fundamentally promoting the region and getting the message across, as you say, Matt, we, you know, we're competing. You know, we're, we're in a different bracket now, and that's where we want, want the region to be perceived and seen. But also, you know, at, at grassroots level, on the ground, boots on the ground, you know, there's a lot of positive initiatives going on in digital boot camps and all sorts of stuff. Thanks, Mike. And, and Yanis, I, I know you've been a big champion of talent in the region as well. I'm keen to get your observations on this. Everyone said pretty much everything that needs to be said. We're, we're a, a young and diverse region. That's incredible. That's starting to translate now into the tech workforce as well. So yesterday, Tech Nation produced their annual report, which was 10 years of, of technology. And it, it, the, this year didn't have a regional focus. However, the West Midlands did get a shout out. And outside of London, the West Midlands um, has the largest proportion of Black, Asian and underrepresented groups working in technology at 17%. That's phenomenal. That, that's, that's testament to the hard work that, that's been going on. Could we do more? Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I won't rest until, you know, that is somewhere around the 50-50 mark. To do that, we need to ensure that people see themselves within tech. So we've got Melissa and Joe on the call. How do we get Melissa and Joe in front of enough young girls and women to inspire them to become the next tech leaders? How do we do that with the black community, the Asian community, hard to reach areas? And that's going to take a mammoth effort, but it's something that is absolutely worth doing. Um, And to Mike's point as well, you know, university degrees, absolutely, you know, it's a great source of talent. But actually, there are so many people that can't access university that are hugely talented and tapping into that group and harnessing them is is going to be so important um, in the war for talent. And actually a great opportunity for, for businesses of all shapes and sizes. Joe, Joe mentioned it earlier, we've got to work hard to encourage those groups into the workforce. Um, and I think removing bias from the recruitment process is, is really important. Making sure that we're almost positively discriminating and, and, and forcing the agenda as well, I think, is, is something we need to, to be doing more and more. Removing CVs, I think, is is a great, great way of, of doing that. You know, just having conversations with people, hiring for the potential, not necessarily the, the skill that they have there and then. So, yeah, there's, there's some of the ideas, but, but you know, a, a great foundation to build on for sure. I, I think that's a really strong point there, Yanis. You know, let's celebrate what we've achieved, but be mindful of where we need to go next as well and the challenges that face us. I want to turn to one of those challenges, which is sustainability. More important than ever, people, companies, society, all recognising the challenge now. So what are you and, and your company or your organisation doing to address this? And, and how is it changing your work? And I'm, I'm going to start with Joe again, if that's OK. It's absolutely a massive issue, isn't it? And for tech, it's also absolutely a massive opportunity. And I don't think we should be afraid about saying that and recognising that because ultimately, you know, the goal's got to be met. So if I look at what we're doing and, and I put it in three limbs. So so first of all, 
is actually recognizing what we already do. So if I look at you know the, what we deliver to our customers, the products that we we provide to them, the services that we deliver, many of those solutions actually already contribute to carbon reduction. And it's, it's historically just never been recognized, has it? So you know, a simple example, um, we do traffic light systems. Now, when you're doing an install, uh, you you have some road closure in place, perhaps, you know, temporary traffic lights, you've got traffic stationary. It's emitting more carbon because it's not moving because you stop starting journeys. By doing more plug and play technology, you reduce your time on site, you keep traffic moving better, you avoid those emissions. We would never talk about it in that way five years ago, but it's really important that we recognise what we ever also do remote monitoring. Every time that you can look at an asset remotely, not have to deploy somebody to site to see it, you're saving on carbon emissions. So part of it is recognition. Part of it then is what are we doing in the future with our solutions? And it is making sure that we look at whole life costings and also whole life emissions. What are the power consumption of the products that we're deploying? What's the heat um, emission from those? What are the numbers of assets that we're actually having to put out there? What type of concrete are we using? You know, so so all of those things have to be factored in. And then, of course, there's very much the, you know, the direct carbon story around everything that we literally do. So like most other companies, we're, we're um, migrating towards electric and hybrid vehicles, making sure we source gas and electricity from renewable sources, so since 2015, you know, we've had good results. We've um, uh, reduced our own carbon emissions, scope one and scope two, by 30%. And really now it's about that focus on our supply chain, um, because that is where the vast majority of our total emissions would, would uh, sit. So we are committed to the science-based uh, targets initiative. Um, we report through uh, ESOS and SECA. We also do the voluntary carbon disclosure project. And then it's about engaging as well with our workforce because it isn't about, you know, one bright spark centrally um, having, you know, a, a job title of head of sustainability and having all of the ideas. You know, we've got people every day who have got ideas about things that we can do to be better, to be more efficient, to be greener and continually improve and enhance our environmental performance. Thank you, Joe. Yanis, I, I know you've been championing this across the region as well working with so many companies. Can you get your observations on this? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, there's an opportunity to empower young people, startups and, and entrepreneurs to really come up with some groundbreaking and, and innovative ideas that can help, well, kind of everyone really in society, whether that's kind of an individual citizen or, or a business, you know, and so we've been working really hard with our partners and collaborators to ensure that they're creating programs to enable entrepreneurs and SMEs to start to take these ideas and turn them into kind of you know really good products and services that can help us all kind of change the world for, for the better and, and and what i'm also seeing is larger organizations create entrepreneur programs where they're carrying challenges within the workforce and, and empowering employees to come up with ideas that, that can help. And that's really important um, 
from a from a retention point of view and a culture point of view, as Joe mentioned earlier, you know, people now value that so highly when it comes to choosing the organization they work for and deciding whether they're going to stay. Uh, and so giving them the opportunity to be a part of that, I think, is is really important. So, again, it comes down to collaboration. It's making sure we're all working together. We're sharing ideas as well amongst us all. We've got some great you know, organizations um, that are all doing innovative stuff around this area. How do we share that insight so we can all benefit as well? Absolutely. I mean, sustainability is so important for businesses. How's it changing your work, Melissa? So I think, um, you know, because we set up our business um, really recently, we really started with sustainability as front of mind. I, I also, it's also something that's very important to me as the founder. And so really, when we looked at the way that we were going to be manufacturing products, we invested quite a lot of money in renewable resources. So for example, we use something called cartridge delivery systems for our printers. And most of the industry would use something that is a single use plastic. You can imagine we're making tens of thousands of these uh, products every couple of days. And so the amount of waste that that would create would be insane. So we actually had to invest quite a lot of money in special Ultron, uh, which is a special material which can be used 10,000 times before it degrades. And then you can melt it down and make that same uh, consumable again and again. That's just one example. We also use 3D printing, which is almost zero waste. It's about 0.05% wastage because it's single batch product making. That's extremely exact. And compared to mainstream manufacturing of food, um, the best kind of uh, metric I've seen from a large scale factory is around 25% material wastage on the production of food. So again, we're not wasting material. But in addition to that, we really took a humongous amount of time on our packaging. So again, our products are to be taken every day. And just like, you know, the Nespresso thing, it would be so immoral to basically make a packaging solution that was not sustainable for something that we're encouraging people to have every single day. And so our inner packaging, which is, it looks like a plastic flow wrap. It is actually made from wood pulp and it biodegrades in your backyard in 32 weeks or less and is TUV home compostable organic material. We even use bio inks on everything that we do from our outer box to our shipping labels with special adhesive. We had to get a special agreement with DPD to let us use so that we weren't putting a shipping label on a box, making it no longer biodegradable. Um, so we have really thought the whole thing through. And so the entire business is plastic free. In addition to that, we only use vegan ingredients, which has a knock-on effect on environmental impact around the way that animals are raised and the amount of resource that that requires. And I, what is impact has it made to the business? It makes the team extremely proud. And it makes, and they talk about it with people that are not involved in the business. And they're really, really proud of it because I think you can see what's going on in other, in other types of products. And you can see um, there's not, there's a new documentary every week, which I think is good. People need to not be able to run away from it. But I think the way that we've done it has made the team keep it front of mind from the day one and, and they're really proud of it and it's one of our key values so it's something we have every intention to continue sustainability is more important than ever for people companies and society how are you and your organization addressing this and how is this changing your work well i think from the growth company ourselves muslims growth company we obviously we're we're, we're already now doing you know what is what is good practice um, but we're not a particularly complex business in that sense. We're, you know, we're an office-based um, business. 
probably, and, and more importantly, the, the bigger and wider impact we're having or we'll have on the region is that as part of our inward investment team, you know, we're not just focused on those sectors like my sector, the tech sector and, and advanced manufacturing. We actually have a dedicated resource in the team to lead on uh, low carbon. And that individual works across the region, as we do, I do, for example, tech, but more broadly for, for low carbon, working across the region, working with various organisations in fields like sustainable construction, energy storage, clean tech. And also we were described by, we were described as, as an energy tech cluster. And I think that's really important. So that's the bigger impact we're having and the role we have in the wider uh, Western Midlands region. You know, and we've worked some really interesting tech businesses and helping them get established um, in the region. You know, a really interesting company, Carbon Track, and you know, their businesses is they're a tech business, but they're they're focused on helping businesses, you know, use energy more efficiently. Very topical at the moment, of course. But you know, that's the kind of thing we, you know, I think is the bigger piece from the West Midlands Growth Company is helping, you know, we've got dedicated resource to work across the wider ecosystem and, and help businesses and help the region reach that net zero, you know, the road to net zero. I think that's great. And I know Tech UK, we have our Climate Action Hub. Businesses can get involved, can look at what other businesses are doing, some of the advice, some of the pitfalls, some of the opportunities as well. I encourage any listener to take a look at that too. So in July, the Commonwealth Games comes to Birmingham, an incredible showcase of sport in the UK and an exciting time for the region. So what are the opportunities of the Games for businesses in the West Midlands and what are the potential opportunities for the tech sector? And I want to come to you first, Mike. As, as a West Midlands growth company, we play a, a fundamental role in a programme of work, which is called the Business and Tourism Programme. So it's sitting alongside the, the Games and, and there's activity before the Games gets here. And obviously there's going to be activity after the Games has left as well. It's all about the legacy. In terms of before the games, um, as we speak, Mayor, Mayor Andy Street and a team from West Midlands Grove Company are actually out in Canada following the Queen's uh, baton relay that's out in Canada at the moment. And that's, you know, it's a, it's a mission to promote the region uh, to those markets. So there's all that kind of activity, kind of activity happening before the games. But during the games itself, there will be a centrepiece in, in central Birmingham that's going to be branded UK House. So it will be during the duration of the sporting activity. But the purpose of UK House is to promote the region. It's an opportunity uh, for businesses to come and see, you know, what's the best of the region has to offer and what our strengths are and some of the really interesting case studies and examples that's going on. People can express an interest in that uh, right now. There's a, there's, a, there's a URL live. It's uh, ukhouse2022.co.uk. You can register an interest, and there's going to be uh, different themed days. Uh, yeah, for example, there's going to be a day on creative digital technologies. There'll be a day on future mobility, day on data-driven healthcare. So lots of relevant stuff for businesses to come and understand the strengths of the region. And you know, all that is an activity that's happening and running in parallel to the games itself in the summer. Excellent. Uh, Melissa, turn to you. Are you going to be going to the games? First, I should ask that. Yes, of course. I, I love it. And I think um, I'm, I think I speak for everyone who lives in Birmingham when I say I'm, I'm really looking forward to them 
stopping all the construction. <laughs> uh, it will be really great, right? When the, when the, cause they've got to do it by the time it starts, right? That's what I keep telling myself while I'm stuck in traffic every day. Um, but no, I think that they're really putting a huge amount of effort into upgrading the region, the tram system. I mean, I had the opportunity to walk through the center of Birmingham the other day, which I don't often get to do. And it is looking so beautiful all around Victoria Square. It's outstanding. It looks so, so good. And I'm, and I'm so proud of it. And I think really for our business, we make health products. We work with loads of athletes. We work with loads of Olympic teams and professional sports teams. And so for us, it's a very natural thing to, to be doing quite a lot of uh, promotion of the brand and, and also working alongside a lot of the visiting athletes and the visiting teams that are coming, That some of which we already work with. So I think if I was giving advice to the rest of the businesses in the region, we are under a spotlight globally, which is not something that happens every day. And I and I really hope that everyone shows their best face forward and also uh, really takes advantage of of something where we're going to be, you know, front and center to the world. So yeah, it's great. Incredible, Joe. Uh, Commonwealth Games. What's the opportunity for talent part of this? So I think I think anything. You know, quite often. The public seem to, or some of the public can be a bit anti these events, can't they? And that it's a lot of money and it's a one-off. And I think the, the most important thing is it's not one-off. The legacy that gets created and then left behind and more importantly built on is absolutely huge with all of these events, you know, sporting or otherwise. So I think that's the, the exciting thing and the reason why we need to attract more events like this to the West Midlands region, get behind them and really push them forwards because it, it it's, it's constantly a springboard. You know, if you think back to 2012 and the London Olympics, you know, but the, the enormous passion around that, and that was the principle there. It was what legacy is going to be left behind. And the legacy is fantastic. If you go to the Olympic Park now, it's thriving. There are businesses there, startup hubs. That, you know, it, it's, it's really exciting. And see that coming to Birmingham will just be fabulous. Yanis, uh, the final word on this to you. The Commonwealth Games, what does it mean for the region? Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely huge, right? What, a, what an opportunity. If you look at Glasgow and if you look at Manchester, both hosted the Commonwealth Games, there are tangible benefits from a citizen wealth point of view, but also a business revenue point of view. It's an opportunity for everyone really to start to, you know, all eyes of the world are going to be on on Birmingham and the wider region. So what a great opportunity to align yourself with that opportunity and that legacy piece. What I'd love to see, um, to Joe's point, is more and more big events take place in the region you know, world-class events where, you know, it, it could be a focus on technology, it could be a focus on on creative, it could be music and film and art. And that, that's what we need to do. It's, it's that consistency, that legacy piece, which will benefit everyone. But I can't wait for the summer to actually just kind of enjoy the games myself and, yeah, kind of feel that energy, really. Great. Thank you, Yanis. Uh, and thank you so much to our speakers, uh, Yanis, Mike, Melissa, Joe, for offering their insight, uh, their thoughts and their observations, not just on the tech sector in the West Midlands, but the great opportunities that are available to businesses as well. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. If you enjoyed our session today, there's a further session as part of London Tech Week that the West Midlands Growth Company are running, Why the West Midlands, on the 16th of June 
11 a.m. in Tech UK's offices. That's part of Tech UK's programme of events that are taking place across London Tech Week. Visit our London Tech Week page, find out more and get involved. Thank you for listening today. We'll be profiling other tech sectors around the UK, other spaces, other areas, what they're doing, how they're innovating, and just what that means for the UK's tech ecosystem. Thank you so much. 